Welcome, welcome, everyone, to What We Learn From Films, Episode 1, a podcast about revisiting movies from our past and seeing if they're worth watching today. My name is Alexander Ballant, and I'm a film student at Humber College, and I love movies, but I also love re-watching movies because I like taking something that I've already enjoyed and finding something new, something I didn't notice the first time, the second time, the third time. I really have a habit of re-watching the same things over and over and over again and finding new ways to appreciate them. And that's what I wanted this show to be. I want it to be a celebration of the past, of things we enjoyed and the things that made us who we are today. But also, I want to look at them a little bit more critically. I want to understand that everything has its flaws. Nothing is perfect. You might consider something a masterpiece, but that doesn't mean that it is perfect. There's a very clear distinction with that. And that's what the plan for this show is. Now, most episodes going forward, I plan to be talking to someone else, having this be a discussion, having this be more of an interview style show. Right now, this first episode is kind of a test for myself, and it's going to be a solo adventure. And so I'm going to be the main subject of this podcast, and it's going to be about a film that I personally really loved. And that film is Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, directed by Edgar Wright, one of my favorite directors personally. Released on August 13th, 2010, I have quite a, a history building up to me seeing this movie that I can remember very, very clear details about that I feel like I should go into to really get a feel for why this movie had such an impact on me. Just a little bit off the top, this is definitely, if not my favorite movie of all time, it's in the top five. This is one of those movies that I would, if anyone asked for a recommendation for a film, it would be one of the first that I would suggest. I absolutely love this movie. And I remember being hyped about it ever since I saw the first trailer. A little bit of background, I was 11 years old when Scott Pilgrim came out. So when the marketing cycle was going, was happening for the film, I was so in. It was speaking to me on a level that most movies just didn't. I don't know if it was the visuals or if it was just the whole, it's like a video game, but in real life aesthetic. But I, regardless of what it was, I really was in. I was hook, line, and sinkered. And I was so excited about it that when I found out that there were books, that this was an adaptation of comics, I had to read them because I couldn't wait to see this movie that I would do anything to get even a taste of what it was going to be. And so I remember pleading to my parents about getting the books. And at, at the bookstore, there was this package. It was all six of them in a, in a complete box set that you could get. It was like $55. And I was like, I need it. I want it so badly. But I got a little bit of pushback of saying like, well, how do you know you're even going to like this? Because normally I wouldn't go out of my way to read most things. Even if it was a comic, I would just, usually I would spend my time doing most other things than reading. Because reading is for dorks, is what I would think. 
but I really wanted this book series. And so there was a deal that we could get the first one. And if I finished it and was content with like wanting to get the next one, then we could do that and just kind of go on and go, go and go and go until either I would give up reading them or I finish the series. When I got Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Life, which is the first book in the series, I finished it that day. And I was so excited to get the next one. And then the one after that. And eventually I got to, I got through book five before the movie came out. And once the movie came out, that was like, that was it. I was going to see it. And so I saw the movie and then I got book six, which is actually a really interesting way to experience it because as anyone who is familiar with both the book and the books and the movie, there are some very drastic changes to the ending. Now, this show is going to primarily focus on the movie. Whatever decisions the movie decided to make to deteriorate or deteriorate to to change and iterate from the books, we're not going to be talking about those changes and which is better or whatever. This is going to be purely about the decisions that the movie alone makes. I just want to get that clear off the top. And this was a movie that I watched at least four times in the theaters. I may or may not have seen it more times. I honestly cannot remember how many times I saw it in theaters. I know for sure that there was at least four. That's kind of my that's kind of my my point that I make if ever I talk about this movie is like, oh, I saw it four times in theaters. It could have been more. I know it wasn't less. Now, the first thing about Scott Pilgrim vs. the World that is abundantly clear from the very, very first frame is the tone of the movie. And you really get that with the Universal logo, with the chiptune music, and the the digitized, the, I think it's 16-bit visuals of the Universal logo. It is immediately charming. No matter how many times I see it, I love it. Whenever movies go out of their way to make the the company logos that that accompany them, whenever a movie goes out of its way to make those even just a little bit different, a little bit more entertaining, is always a gift. It's not always appropriate for every movie, but when a movie does do it, I love it. And it always stands out as just like just a little a little detail on top. And for this movie, it was just a great addition and I loved it. Now, the next thing about this movie that I think is abundantly clear and the more times I watch it, the more and more I begin to understand how for one how much stuff in this movie went over my head as an 11-year-old are the characters. Scott Pilgrim is kind of the worst. If anyone has seen the movie, which by the way, just I probably should have said this off the top, but this is going to be a full spoiler discussion of this movie. I'm not going to hold back. If you're listening if and you haven't seen the movie, I'd highly recommend watching it first before listening to this podcast. I think you could still enjoy it if you if you listen to this first and then go see the movie, but I'm not going to hold back in anything I'm going to discuss here. So just a little bit of warning off the top. But back to Scott Pilgrim. He is the worst, and the movie doesn't try to hide that fact. In fact, it's a 
abundantly clear just how terrible this person is. And I was one of those very, I was very impressionable as a child. And he was one of those characters that I, in some ways, idolized for all of the wrong reasons. Let me just state that for a fact. But I just completely missed the point. And he's he's definitely one of those characters that it's, you miss the point by idolizing him. And the more I watch the movie, the more it's like just abundantly clear, the more life experience I get, actually, it's more abundantly clear. Wow, this is a really shitty person who you don't want to, you really want to try to strive to be better than him and also just treat people better than he did. Regardless, um, he's played by Michael Sarah, and I think Michael Sarah does a really, really good job. Um, I think he's very good at being awkward and kind of just slightly cringy and not in a way that like you want to shrivel out of your skin and die, but just like, Ooh, man, this is a person who I don't understand why he has anyone who talks to him. He he does a really good job at kind of being that kind of weird, like the worst kind of nerd. Another character that I think who's at the forefront of the movie and basically is the reason why the plot is the way that it is, is uh, Ramona Flowers, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And she's great. She's great. She's another she's another character that it's like you kind of miss the point by by a not idolize Yeah, I, I think idolizing her is the right word. It's like she's also kind of a not super great person when you really, really get down to it. She's not that great of a person. Um and the relationship that they have, I've seen quite there's there's a good number of people who kind of idolize and i feel like that word is coming up a lot because it really feels it's it's pungent to how i used to view this movie that's kind of why i feel like that word is continuously coming up but people idolizing that relationship in reality the themes of the movie is are really about it being super toxic to both of them and how they're both kind of eroding because of it until they realize that. And we're going to get into discussing the ending and how I feel like the ending kind of steps all over itself with that theme. But that that's that's for a little bit down. That's a little bit further into this discussion that we're that I will get into that. A few of the other minor characters I mean, every character is memorable in one way or another. Even if they show up for one scene, they are at least memorable in their dialogue and lines and all all of the comedic moments they have. Some of some of my favorite characters that I just I think get infinitely better and better and better the more I watch it, especially in the context to their other work. One of them in particular is Chris Evans, who plays Lucas Lee, who is the second evil ex. The fact that he can play such an asshole character so well after having spent the last almost 10 years, I think it's nine at this point of recording, playing Captain America, and he can then, like, he he obviously started, he, he didn't start playing Captain America, then go to Lucas Lee, but... He can jump between being the most likable hero in the MCU, in Captain America, in my opinion, 
to like this he's this paragon of strength and hope and just the ideal person to then he also is very versatile and he can play the absolute worst he's an asshole skater bro i love it it's great and he has so many really funny lines that i i think chris evans is one of the standouts even though he's only in the movie for maybe 10 minutes i i don't have an exact timing but he's not in it for very long but he's very memorable same thing with the guy who literally played superman brendan routh Brendan Routh is probably my favorite of the exes. He plays Todd Ingram, who is the third ex. And just the idea of a vegan having superpowers. And because the, the you know, the, the main joke that people have against vegans, their causes, they're like, you know, do it for whatever reason you want. But it's like the, oh, the, the stereotype is that they think they're better than everyone. And having this movie be like, yeah, he is better than everyone because he literally has superpowers is really, is really quite comedic. And I, I think it's, it's funnier the more and more I watch it. And I think just he also really shows that he's a versatile actor with this movie. The next point that I want to bring up is that I really noticed this time is the action scenes. I, there always have been entertaining, but there was something about this rewatch, watching it before recording this podcast, that really stood out to me. And it makes me genuinely believe that a movie of fighting games, especially something like Street Fighter, should take notes from Scott Pilgrim. And what I mean by that, and I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to leave the video game talk for, to be very minor in the overall discussion, but it still is. This is just something that stood out to me: is the action scenes were essentially a 2D fighting a 2D fighting game, but with different camera perspectives. In a game like Street Fighter, the camera needs to be at a 2D angle to serve the gameplay, where in something like this, especially with the first with the first fight uh, with Matthew Patel, it shows all these different angles, but you still get some of those wide angle perspectives of like, and it's abundantly clear or it's abundantly obvious when you see the versus sign, like the versus visual effect. It's like, oh, this is like there are some very clear inspirations from things like Street Fighter, and I feel like if you just took this formula of showing the fights like the one-on-one fights in this way and using the using the art of film to be able to show these other angles of a fight it would make a it would make a street fighter movie great and lean into the fact that yes this was a video game we're not trying to hide that we're not trying to be ashamed of that i don't know it's something that i thought about but overall the action scenes are incredible they're super super versatile in the way that they they show themselves like there's there's fist fights and there's a lot of elements of this movie that when I think about it, they just kind of are the way that they are. And the movie doesn't take any time to explain it because it doesn't need to because it sets up this this world and this like these possibilities. This is what this world is. And it doesn't try to hold your hand and be like, well, Scott Pilgrim can jump 17 feet in the air and fight really, really well because it doesn't need to do that. And that's one of the things I really appreciate about the storytelling 
is it's about this relationship and everything else that happens serves the the comedic elements the like it serves everything but the story but in a way that doesn't detract from the story. You don't have questions to, oh, why can everyone fight in this world? It doesn't matter. And that's something I really, really appreciate and something that I just kind of, it clicked this time while watching it. Another thing, and this has been something that has been abundantly obvious every time I watch this movie, but as somebody who, like I stated before, has been, this is the first time I've watched this movie since I started going to film school now say whatever you want about film school i i really love what i've been doing and one of the things that i very much notice is i take a lot of inspiration and anything that i've done so far regardless of the quality of it i've taken so many inspirations with edgar wright and his filmmaking style between camera movements that serve not just not just to keep the audience engaged, but also serve visual jokes and visual moments in the in the film itself. Edgar Wright is an absolute master at that. And some of the things I noticed the most in this movie, and I know it's the case in all of his other movies, is transitions. There's a lot of match cutting that accompanied by a camera movement, sound, and a match cut, all within a few seconds of each other that... When you're not paying attention to it, it just works and you don't question it. But when you notice it and you're looking for it, it just, it opens up this, it opens up this Pandora's box of all these different aspects about these movies that you can really learn from and take inspiration from. And I've, I realized that every time I've tried to do something like this, it's not that easy it's done in this movie and it looks effortless i mean anybody watch anybody who's seen an edgar wright movie knows what i'm talking about but when you actually try to attempt it basically the point that i'm trying to make here is filmmaking is a lot harder than you kind of give it credit for and more than anything it just allows me to appreciate these moments in the movie that much more this movie really is the movie details subreddit, the movie. There's so many things about this movie, and every time I watch it, I get more and more of these things. I notice these things a lot more, like when uh, Ramona says that Todd punched a hole in the moon for her, you can see every time you see the moon, you see that crater. It's like things like that that I love. There's a moment... Uh, speaking of the transitions, when Knives calls, it's right after they break up and Knives calls to see if Scott's home and Scott jumps out the window. And it's like that moment in itself is funny because it's somebody leaving in a way that's like really comedic. But then when you see the reaction shot of Knives and she's disappointed you see Scott walking away in the background, and that's just, it's that little detail on top that just, it makes it that much better, and is one of the things I'm talking about when I say this movie is almost infinitely rewatchable. It's very clever in a way that's not in your face about it, and it's not obvious. 
you can enjoy it if you watch it once, full stop, and you could think, wow, that was that was fantastic. But when you watch it again and you're looking for it, it really is just that much more. And I think that's that's something I've always known about it, but every time I rewatch it, it just it really gets it gets like bolded every time. Wow, this really is just a masterclass of having things for everyone. I really feel like there was a lot of thought put into. I mean, the more I the more I learn about film and how everything is a decision, every single aspect is a decision, it really felt like the thought process was not just for the people who are going to watch this only once, which I'm sure is most of the people who have seen this movie, but it's also what about the the person who's going to get the Blu-ray for it and come back and watch it again? And what about the person who's going to watch it again after that? There's a, all of these like ifs that were that were specifically that were specifically designed in this in this movie for a lack of a better word. I absolutely love the fact that this film takes place in Toronto for one. I am obviously from Toronto. I th- believe I stated that at the top. If not, well, here it is. And there's so many places that just the fact that it was in Toronto and they state that at the very beginning of the movie was enough for me as a kid. A lot of the places in the movie I hadn't gone to yet, but I knew that they existed, like Casaloma and Lee's Palace. But as I've gotten older and the more that I the more that I just kind of get out there and be who I am and see all these places, the more of an appreciation I really get for this movie. And there's things like The Honest Eds that this movie is now in some ways a relic of that because Honest Eds is gone. And so if you go to that Pizza Pizza and you sit in there, you're never going to have that moment of it being at night and all of the lights from Honest Ed are shining inside of the, the windows. It's a little sad when you think about it like that. And... I don't know. It just it hit home more this time watching the movie than any other time. And it just is a real it's it's a real opportunity to learn just a little bit more and it's that gateway I think to then wanting to see what else does this city have to offer. I think this is a perfect gateway for that. Another another very very key aspect of this film that is definitely not understated in any way, shape, or form, but I really wanted to bring up here because I think, again, I just, I was looking for it, and it just stuck that much harder this time, is the soundtrack. It's so good. Not just the stuff that, not just the licensed music that they got, but also the licensed music where they had other people re-record it, like Brie Larson, for example, uh, singing the song from Metric, Black Sheep. Everyone knows that moment, but it's it's it really is just I can't state it enough that that song is so so great, and I I love both the movie version and Metric's version, but I think I love the movie version more just because it was my first time hearing it, and so. I, I don't know if it would have been the other way around if I heard the song first, but regardless, I love Brie Larson's version of it. It's so good. 
And just that scene in itself is visually so, so impressive with all of the all of the members of Clash of Demon Head coming out in silhouettes. And you then see the waveform, the red waveform of the song starting and then them being almost like these oh it's trying to portray them as like these almost godlike rock stars the way and uh there's a more implication of the scene with with uh the relationships that they have to scott and ramona but when you're watching when you're watching it and thinking of the perspective of the fans and how they how they visually made that scene it's just there's again more and more to every single frame of this movie and you know the the more that i praise the movie this time watching it and i think this is the first time i really watched this film trying to look at it with a pure critical lens and there's times where sort of my fanboy like nature couldn't get over just oh my god this movie is so good get hype but I also did try to look at it a little bit more critically this time. And, you know, there are stuff that there's stuff that I did notice. One of the biggest things is the you can really, really tell that this is jamming six full books into one movie that needs to be under two hours. And it really feels like that. I think the first two acts of this movie are almost unstated on how good they are they're really great but once you get to the third act it really felt like the movie was just oh we need to wrap this up we need to wrap this up and it just kind of speeds through all of some of the most emotional beats that the story has it felt like they just needed to get through it and i'm not even just talking about when scott pilgrim comes back to life they're having some brevity in not showing the entire scenes that we had just watched, but just the pacing of of it all in general just feels way faster than more than likely should have. At least I think so. Uh, and there was a lot of things that, you know, I have I know about now, but there's thinking about it, there's a lot of stuff that went over my head as a kid. Specifically with the character of Roxy. I mean, like, I knew about her and the whole deal with her but also trying to think i was trying to think while i was watching it what my headspace would have been like as an 11 year old watching that especially with how she gets defeated uh for anyone who doesn't know scott touches the back of her knee and she literally orgasms herself to death that is a sentence that i just said out loud and i'm realizing just how ridiculous that is and it's kind of a shame in a lot of ways like surface level, it's like, oh, that's kind of funny and really strange. But the more I think about it, it's like, mm, that seems like it's kind of a shame that the one female ex is just kind of like, they really lean hard into the fact that, oh, she's a girl. I don't know. I feel like there was a real wasted opportunity. And there's a lot of stuff that I think, not a lot actually, now that I'm saying it out loud, but there's a few, few jokes, there's a few moments that really kind of didn't age super well, like, it's not horribly distasteful, but there's a few things that are like, oh, wow, I don't see that being, I, I wouldn't see that joke being made nowadays, and that's not a, that's not a bad thing, it just kind of feels like 
tastes have changed in the way that comedy is done. And I think even Edgar Wright has clearly changed. Like if you watch Baby Driver, there's not as much there that I would say hasn't aged well besides uh, Kevin Spacey, but that's for completely unrelated reasons than the movie. But with the jamming of the six full books into one movie, you can really see that there's some underdeveloped characters, especially near the end. I think that uh, obviously the Katsuyanagi twins are, they don't even have a line of dialogue, which I feel like is a shame. Um, and obviously they were trying to be faithful to the book and say, and seven sounds better than five when it comes to deadly evil exes. I don't know. There's something seven punches a little bit more, but maybe that's just me thinking about it too much. Uh, but it's almost like, why were they even in the movie? They served no real purpose other than just having a really fun action scene and but i don't know i i with a movie as witty and as pretty well written as scott pilgrim versus the world you kind of expect more out of you'd think that there would be more of a reason to have these characters other than they just need to be there i don't know i just kind of wish we got a little bit more i obviously know that the the movie was the movie is a pretty good length but if it was maybe even like the thing is both Lucas Lee and Todd Ingram aren't in the movie for an absurd amount of time. If you added an extra 10 minutes to the movie, and I feel like if the movie was made today, there's a good chance that it would be two hours. And if they had that two hours, then maybe we could have at least gotten a little bit of character from them. I don't know. This is just this is just pure speculation, and that's just one of the few criticisms I have of the movie. But the biggest criticism that I felt like I even knew about when I first saw the movie, but it really, really sticks out more and more now, is the ending. The ending of the movie is very, very, very disappointing. The, the whole movie is about this very toxic relationship and how Scott is a t- very bad person. He's a not great person to be around and how him and Ramona both learn from this experience of having to deal with her, her past and the evil exes. And it's about them becoming better people. And the original ending of the the film is that they do part ways and and Scott decides to to end up with knives, uh, even though knives is way too good for him. And Ramona goes off on her own. And in a lot of ways, that's a better ending than the one that we got in the movie. And it was changed. I believe because the studio was like, there's no way that we can end this movie and not have Scott and Ramona be together. And so they had to reshoot it. And it just, it feels like it steps on its own feet of the theme of toxic relationships and being a better person because of it. Not because of it, but in spite of it. And I I just, it feels like a wasted opportunity that this was the ending that they decided to go with. And Though I have the the pre-knowledge of that it's not the real ending of the, the movie, I kind of 
canonically head my head canon for the movie is that it ends with scott and knife being together but regardless i i just i think i think it steps on its own feet a lot and i i've said that a couple of times but just it's it stands out as being one of the weakest points of the entire thing which is a shame because i think a lot of edgar wright's other movies and pretty strong. I think Hot Fuzz in particular is one that really stands out as like having a very strong ending. At least I personally think so. Overall though, Scott Pilgrim is still one of my favorite movies ever. I'm so glad that I decided to rewatch it for this. This idea for this podcast has been something that I've been thinking about for quite a long time. I love the idea of revisiting something that you love, and I love Scott Pilgrim. And I learned so much more about it this time looking at it through that lens. Would I still say it's my favorite movie of all time? I don't know. It's really hard to quantify that now. I'm not sure, because I think it's still a masterclass in filmmaking. I still think that everything it does well, it does leagues better than most things. I think the filmmaking and the way that it implements visual comedy is fantastic. One of the biggest things about comedy movies that most that come out are they really rely on the audio aspect of film rather than the visual, which is kind of like, well, then why why even have a why even make it a film if you're not gonna it's a lot of improv and a lot of person telling the joke where Scott Pilgrim decides to show that visually. I gave the example of Scott jumping out the window. There's a lot of entering frame in a comedic way and a lot of a lot of just visual comedy in this movie. And I think Edgar Wright is one of those directors who really excels at that. Regardless, though, Scott Pilgrim will always be one of those movies that I bring up as a movie that I would recommend to people. And if you somehow got to the end of this podcast and are haven't seen it yet, or it's been years since you've seen it, I would highly recommend rewatching it. Rewatch it and look for all of these little details that I've talked about because they're there. And every time you watch it, you're going to see something different, just something, because it's continuously packed with all of these little aspects. And just even the the filmmaking techniques are so unique in the way that they're, the way that they tackled them, that this movie is worth watching, I dare say, infinitely. <laughs> Regardless, I think that's where I'm going to wrap it up because I could go in circles on and on and on and on and on talking about how much I love this movie. And I feel like I would bring up a lot of the same points over and over again. I just want to leave on this note that this podcast is something that I really want to be a collaborative effort to anybody who's watching or anybody who's listening more, more specifically. I'm not I'm not doing a video podcast for this. That would be silly. But yeah, if, if you listen to this and you think, wow, there's something, there's whatever movie it is from your childhood, I really recommend rewatch it. Rewatch it and think about it in a little bit more of a critical way and see, does it hold up? Or was I, have I been thinking about it with rose-tinted glasses? It's a real interesting idea. And I plan on doing this more and more. And I'm hoping the next episode there will be someone else who I, it's going to be more of an interview process of me asking the questions that 
in this episode, I was mostly just kind of bringing up point to point to point. Instead, I want to I want to pose those questions to someone else. So until that next episode, I've been Alexander Ballant, and you can find me on the internet on Twitter at blatantly underscore Alex and on Instagram at blatantly Alex. And if you want to potentially be on the show, please reach out to me in any of those. My DMs are open. Please slide into them. But with that, that's where I think I'm going to wrap it up. Go watch Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, even if you've already seen it, because it's fantastic. Thank you for listening. Have a good day.